0: Alright, good morning everybody. How we doing? I said, how you doing? Okay, I come from a little bit of a background where it's alright to talk back every once in a while. As long as it's appropriate. And it's uh, nothing that uh, you're upset about. A uh, little participation is fantastic. I know I'm going to get that over here from the youth group, yeah? The seed guys. Fantastic. Uh, it is an honor, a joy, a privilege to be with you guys this morning. I love everything that God is doing in and through this community. I think that actually in many ways that you guys are leading the charge for this whole Mariners family and churches throughout Orange County and what it means to serve and love our neighbors that are right around us, right outside our door. Uh, I know that that's something that this church is engaged in fully and it's something that we long to see more and more for, for all of our lives. So uh, yeah, again, it's just an honor, it's a privilege to be here with you guys this morning. Love the team. Jeff is obviously away, taking a bit of time to study and grasp this family. Uh, Mike and Jordan, you guys have got some fantastic leaders here, so maybe you should give it up for those guys Jeff is actually behind the the curtain here, so he's listening, so that's not not true. Um, As I said, it's a joy to be here this morning. uh, Mike, Mike, who we've known for years, mentioned our family. Got a little picture here of our family. This is uh, our whole crew here. This is my wife, Uh, Lindy's going to come up here in a little bit. There is a picture, I promise. There she is. Yeah, that's my wife, Libby, our new daughter, three-month-old, Lucy, and our six-year-old. Her name is called Olivia. Uh, And that was taken just last Wednesday. Uh, We live in Costa Mesa without air conditioning. The power was out in our entire neighborhood. So we decided to take the day off work and do one of those staycation deals, right? So we went out to Newport Harbor, went to the Duffy, uh, got a hotel, and had lots of fun together with, with our family. Uh, on that day. And, and I love that picture. It kind of captures that perfect moment where everything is okay, We're on the boat. It's my first time driving a Duffy. I have no idea how those things work. I've never tied off of, I've never done any of that stuff, but everything went okay. Uh, it was fun to go home that night and look through my phone, uh, oldest daughter. One of her new favorite hobbies is uh, she loves photography, or whatever, she loves our phone, takes all these videos all over the place. So was uh, going through the pictures of that day, and I saw all these videos of my phone hanging off the edge of the duffy and getting this water shots, which was quite terrifying. Almost ruined what was a spectacular day. Uh, and then I, I looked at some other pictures here of sometimes when we do things, and we have vacations and we go on adventures, things do not always go as planned. Can I get an in-in on that one? Uh huh. So I found these photos. Some of these are a little jarring, so I apologize in advance. But these are what we like to call... The epic fail Shots of Vacation. So take a look at this guy. Uh-oh. Yeah, it's a good look. You've probably seen him down at Doheny of Salt Creek, right? He's the guy who's probably from out of town. He doesn't have any idea what's going on. And then he winds up like that. So that's 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 not a great one. Uh, We've got these, uh, this family here. It looks like Niagara Falls. Let's take a nice family photo together. Let's capture this moment forever. And some like curious George is uh, suffocating on his poncho here. I don't know what's... What's going on? That's not a great look. Um, And then we got this. On the side of the road, let's take a photo, and an atomic bomb just happens to take. I don't know what that is. It looks real. I don't think it's Photoshop. Uh, And then this one, this is my personal favorite. Uh, Okay, move it, wait.
1: Oh, please, okay.
0: (laughs) You don't want to be that guy. You definitely do not want to be that guy. Uh, But the reality is, for many of us, we're in this season of vacation. We're even looking at this series of Oh, The Places That Will Go. And the reality is that life brings with it many twists and turns and, and things that happen along the way and experiences where actually our expectations of what we had planned for don't quite meet up to the reality that's in front of us. And I love that the series is even titled Oh, The Places That Will Go. Uh, Unbeknownst to me, that's actually a Dr. Seuss book. And a couple of years ago, we decided in our family tradition, we'd use that book to give it to all of our kids to and they would write nice words of affirmation in there. We didn't have that in the canon of my family bedtime stories. I was more of a Ferdinand man, a bull guy. Uh, but So I went through this book and was reading it a little bit. And I don't think you guys have done this yet. So I'd love to read just a few of my favorite lines. We're going to start this morning with a reading from Dr. Seuss. All right? It's not in your Bibles unless you've got a really funky Bible. I'd love to see that one later. It starts like this. Congratulations. Today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. You have brains in your head, feet in your shoes, on your shoes. and You can steer yourself any direction that you choose. Oh, the places that you'll go. You'll be on your way up. You'll be seeing great sights. You'll join the high flyers who soar to high heights. You won't lag behind because you'll have the speed. You'll pass the whole game, and you'll soon take the lead. Wherever you fly, you'll be the best. Wherever you go, you will top all the rest. Can I get a witness on that? and I get a witness on it. Except when you don't. Because sometimes you won't. I'm sorry to say, but sadly it's true that bang-ups and hang-ups, they can happen to you. You can get all hung up in a prickly perch and your game will fly on and you'll be left in a lurch. You'll come down from the lurch with an unpleasant bump and the chances are then you'll be in a slump. And when you're in a slump, you're not so much fun. Because on unslumping oneself is not easily done. I love that because there's so much truth which is contained uh, within that word. As we look through the journeys of our lives, as we may even take inventory of the things that we're sitting in this morning that we brought with us to this place. That life is not this linear A to B journey where I take this step and it leads there, and I turn a left here and everything works out. Right. Great, great. There's twists, there's turns along the way, and what we've been doing for the series is to recognize that those twists and those turns along the way are moments of growth. They're moments for us to take inventory what God is saying and what He's doing, which can be extremely challenging to do in those moments. I was reminded this week, uh, when I was in grade school, I remember one Sunday night, we went out to, to eat after church. I grew up in a church where you went to church service Sunday morning, Sunday night, and went on Wednesday night, too, and he liked it that way. Uh, and on a Sunday night, we went out to eat with some families, one of those dinghy's restaurants or something, and my friend, he had ordered uh, the happy pancake meal, or whatever that was called. So, in the picture, you've got the whipped cream hair, the strawberry eyes, right, and the bacon is perfectly aligned, in a face of a smile, and he was very excited to, to order this meal, and then when it came to him, when it came to have the meal, uh, it did not look exactly like it was supposed to look. The whipped cream is all over the place, the bacon was kind of dried out and in pieces. It looked like one of the chefs had taken a little bite out of the pancakes, because I'm terrible that they do that sometimes. And I'll never forget the temper tantrum of all temper tantrums. My friend, Stephen Frigoletti, stood up, flipped his chair up, and said, it doesn't look like the picture. This is not what it doesn't look like the picture. Tears streaming down his face. And again, making the point the same way. Life often does not look like the picture even when we're obedient, even when we do life the right way. You guys are doing the right thing, right? We're here this morning. We're worshiping. We're serving. Uh, for many of us, we're on maybe this journey of just beginning to discover who God is, and, and we're taking these steps that, that are obedient, and we're doing things. But even when we do the right stuff, we don't always get what we think we should have in return for the right stuff. So what is God saying to us in those moments? What should our response be to the reality of those moments? Every week you started with this verse. I love this verse we started with. In Psalms 32.8, it says, The Lord says that I will guide you and I will bring you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and I will watch over you. Psalms 37.23, The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. And in Proverbs 16.9, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. That's God's nature. He leads us and He guides us. But I often find my place in this wrestling point of, what does it actually mean for God to direct my path? Can I actually trust that He is here? And why doesn't He always lead the way that I want to? A couple of weeks ago, our family, we were up in the San Francisco Bay Area where we're both from, and uh, we were driving through downtown San Francisco. If you ever want to exercise patience, humility, and grace, it is to drive in downtown San Francisco. Uh, And if you want extra points like I went for that day, it is to drive through downtown San Francisco with a giant Nissan truck, which is just not a great idea. But to make things a little bit easier, right? We've got the the GPS system, and and when that's down, we've got Siri on our phone to tell us where to go. and, And when those things don't work, they're just new incredible invention where we can just park our cars, we can have somebody Uber pick us up and just take us to where we're supposed to go which we did that was a lot of fun Uh, and I wish that God led that way I wish that we could just simply punch in the coordinates and say look God this is the plan I will do these things I will jump through these I will live a life of purity I will will do the things that I'm supposed to do the things that I know I'm supposed to do but if I do that this is what you're supposed to do take me to this take me to this place I do A, you do B, and then everything will line up perfectly where I'm supposed to be. And the reality is, is God does not lead that way. Although I wish all my heart that He would. And I wish that He would, because in leading that way, I feel like I'm actually off the hook, right? I, I don't have to have the freedom, the responsibility, the burden of making the right choices. But if God led that way... Then, why would he ask us continually throughout scriptures to ask for wisdom? Because God isn't one that just grabs us and throws us where we think we're supposed to be. God is the one who leads through all kinds of different scenarios and situations. What we want to talk about today is in those moments, what I believe the greatest prayer that we can bring is not the Jesus take the wheel prayer. I love Carrie Underwood i going to say that right there. I believe she's probably the only valid American idol. She was the first. She's the best. All the other ones after her, are pretenders. Sorry if there's an American idol winner in the crowd today. Uh, I love to meet you again. Shake your hand, by the way. Uh, th- th- that can be a great prayer. And that should be our posture. But I believe there's something more that Jesus would have us know. And it's something that illustrates beautifully time and time again throughout the gospel. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at one particular story in Mark's Gospel. Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. If you have a Bible, start turning to the verse. will be on the screen as well. Uh, but before you we read that, I uh, want to set this up a little bit. So up to this point, the disciples have been journeying with Jesus, and they have seen Him do some incredible things. Heal the sick. They've seen Him cast out evil spirits from people. They have seen crowds of thousands and thousands following this, this new prophet from, from Nazareth, this kind of obscure person who's teaching about the kingdom with authority like nobody else has heard before. They've seen him calm storms. They've seen him feed 5,000. They've seen him do the miraculous. And now they find themselves in this point. In Mark 6, chapter, chapter 6, starting at verse 45. It says this, Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to the seven while he sent the people home. And then picking up the first 46. After telling everybody goodbye, he went up to the hills to pray by himself. Just a few observations. We're going to read the whole passage because it stops along the way. It starts off, and it tells us immediately after this. So, what is the immediately after this? Well, we know if we look back, we see that's the, the miracle where uh, 5,000 were fed, which is five loaves, loaves of bread and two fish. And it's actually not just 5,000. Because they didn't count women and children. So we know that actually it's more ten to 15,000 people that were fed. This massive crowd of 15,000 people following Jesus to the outskirts of town. And the sun is beginning to set. And the disciples are there. And they begin to worry a little bit. What's the plan going to be? We can't take care of all these people. And like how is this going to work out? This could be the end for us. It might come, come against us with anger. And Jesus turns to his disciples. And he says these three powerful words. He says, you feed them. The disciples, I can imagine in that moment, excuse me? Feed them with what? There's no Del Taco. There's not even a Chick-fil-A. It's Sunday. They're clothes. I don't know why that works out. But how? What are we supposed to do? There's limited resources. And then we know it's a story in full step. There's the multiplication before their very eyes. These five loaves of bread, and these two fish, are multiplied to feed the crowd of 15,000. In fact, there's more left over for them to take home. I'd have to suspect that within that crowd, there's some very grateful people. Very grateful. And if I'm one of those disciples, I'm there to probably receive their gratitude. (laughs) Maybe standing in the back to shake every hand and kiss every baby. It's, it's to make sure that they know that, yes, Jesus said you feed them and right, That's exactly what we did. We fed them. So come along this way. Let's shake some hands. Let's kiss some babies. Maybe that's when they take that first self, selfie shot right there. Uh, I'm even probably thinking about how I'm going to write the book, how I fed 15,000 people, and how you can too. I might even pass the buckets in that moment. But one thing I know for sure is one thing that's better than uh, an affirmation is a public affirmation, right? So for people to know and see that I did that, which guys, right? This is why we vacuum the house when our wife's exactly the time they get home because we want to make sure they see it and we get the proper praise for it. So if I'm the disciples there, I'm just basking in the glory. But what does Jesus say? He says immediately after this, he insisted that they get into the boat. Let me lose something in the language there. That word "insisted" is not a, let me just gently grab your hand and, and lead you over to where I want to go. It's actually more of a, I'm going to physically pick you up and place you into this boat to grab you, to make sure that you go exactly where I want you to go. And then what happens? What happens after that transpires? In verse 47, it says this, late that night, everybody said, late that night. Late that night. Late that night. Late that night. It says, late that night, the disciples were in the boat, in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on the land. It's a funny situation. And then he saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. And it was about 3 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, late at night, middle of the lake, middle of the storm. The lake that they were actually in is the Dead Sea. Sea of Galilee. It is the lowest sitting freshwater lake on Earth. It's about 685 feet below sea level. And it's actually surrounded by this area where there's tons of mountains and there's hills that surround it. So what you have is this perfect scenario for the perfect storm. As the winds just Whip down the side of the mountains with great acceleration and speed, and they collide at the a central location on the lake to form these waves and the storm that comes from all angles. A perfect storm. I'm not talking about some little California just drizzling and i to turn my wipers on for three seconds. Like, this is the real deal, George Clooney perfect storm situation going on here. Somebody got that reference. <laughs> and it tells us it's late that night, so they've just fed the 15,000 people, so we know. Looking at different texts, that's somewhere around 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night that Jesus picks them up and puts them on the boat. And then it says, in the middle of the night, 3 o'clock in the morning, they're caught in this giant storm. This lake is 13 miles long. Uh, and it's 8 miles wide, the point that we, they would have caught, they would have crossed it at. So my math is not that fantastic, but I half of 8 is 4. So we can assume that they have gone 4 miles from about nine to three o'clock in the morning, which is around six hours. They have gone four miles in six hours. I'm not a, a boat person, so I had to look something up to figure out what what can I compare that to. I said in San Francisco a couple of weeks ago, and just yesterday they had their annual Alcatraz Swim Fest, which that sounds like a great idea. Who doesn't want to swim in the open water in something that's called Shark Fest? That sounds like a fantastic idea. Uh, but the distance from where you take off which the coast to Alcatraz Island, it's about 1.5 miles. And they say that you should be able to do that swim uh, in under an hour, really, in about an hour, 16 minutes, you should be able to do that. If you go both ways, that's three miles, and then you can maybe about an hour and a half. So that's a three-mile swim in the <coughs> open ocean of San Francisco Bay, where it is cold, and there are sharks around. And they say you should be able to get three-mile swim in just about an hour and a half. There's another uh, competition up in the Bay Area. It's called the Bay to Bridge. And this is a swim And you go from the, uh, the Bay Bridge all the way out to the Golden Gate. It's a 10K. It's a six-mile swim. And the record holder last year, he did this swim in an hour and six minutes. <laughs> That's like some <laughs> Michael Phelps action turbo speed going on right here. Six miles, an hour and nine minutes. And here we find our disciples right? They're fantastic disciples. They've been going for six hours, and they've only got four miles. Imagine the conversations that are taking place in that boat. There's John. My name's John, right? John the Beloved. So John the Beloved is probably, well, it's going to be okay, but Jesus has got a great sense of humor, and you know, he's probably just trying, trying to teach us something, and everything's going to be alright. Why don't we just link hands and sing Kumbaya, and you know, everything's going to be okay. And I imagine Thomas, my last name's Thomas, so I actually resonate with this guy as well. Thomas is like, are you insane? Do you see what's surrounding us? We're in this perfect storm. We've been rowing for six hours, and we've got another six hours to get to the other side. The odds are not good that we're even going to make it to the other side. The water is filling up with boat, but the, you guys got what I'm saying. <laughs> the boat is filling up with water. <laughs> and by the way, we're doing exactly what Jesus called us to do. Remember? insisted, get in the boat, storm, I don't like what I'm seeing here. We're being obedient, we're falling, we're doing the thing that, he's supposed, that we're supposed to be doing, but why are we met with this unbelievable circumstance? See, I tend to think that that's how they would realistically communicate in that moment because I know how I communicate in those moments. Eleven years ago, uh, my wife and I, before we had any kids, uh, we were working at a church up north, and we felt God say, move down to Orange County and watch what I'll do. All right? That sounds fantastic, except for we know about five people in Orange County, and we're from northern California, so to cross down that line, that's that's a big step of faith for us, for sure. And we had some friends, and there was this community, there was this church that was just, just starting up, and, and we felt stirred that, God wanted to, to use this. And to be a part of it. And we assumed that He said it, so He's going to do it. <laughs> and so we moved down, and my wife landed a job two weeks after we moved, because she's got a better resume than I do, which is true. Um, took me some time finding my way and doing all kinds of different odd jobs, from working in basements, shipping, receiving to wash when, when, Lots of kind of goofy jobs. And I remember sitting in some of those moments and thinking, really? This is the great plan? Where we were was pretty great. And we had a prescribed path, and that's we knew our future was going to look like. And the future that we had hoped for in front of us was not what we were seeing. Years and months, so many stories that we find ourselves in there. And we find getting plugged into this community used and God affirming through others and through our lives that yeah there's something here for us and we actually ended up pastoring this congregation uh, in Costa Mesa and saw God do some incredible things and, and thought yeah this is it after years of toil and, and wondering and hurting and anxiety this is what he has for us a series of events go by and we lose our building and we come down to the place of lots of folks have moved and we're not quite sure where the next season is and God comes in and just, he again says, don't worry, I've got it. And we end up merging with this other church. And there's this beautiful story that comes out of it. It's a congregation that's thriving and doing well. And when that happened, we, we were like, yes, this is it. The promised land, finally. The resources, the help. And this is what God was talking about when he said, move to Orange County and watch what I'm going to do. About a year into that, we heard him speak again. And it wasn't what we wanted to hear. He said, well done. Move on. It's time for the next thing." Really? God, that's not the plan. Um, obedience? You order the steps of the righteous? You go before us? You are, this, this is a thing that you have for us? And you felt a bit like Moses at the promised land being told to step outside because it was not our time for that. And in that season of wondering hurting and pain and loss, God surprises us again and brings us to this fantastic community. But all that to say, And I know that firsthand, and I know that many of you know that firsthand. That life does not work A to B. But there's beauty in the in between times. But in the in between times, it can be difficult to hear Him, to see Him, and to trust, to believe that He is good. But what I want to submit to you today is that whether God is using to defeat 5,000, 15,000 people, to do the miraculous, you're walking with confidence and you're calling your purpose You have clarity. Or whether you feel today like you're in the middle of the lake, in the middle of a giant storm, God is still God. And He is still there. And you are not forgotten and you are not alone. And it's a response to the disciples. It's the same response that He gives us today. In verse 48, it says this Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them, but when they saw Him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking that He was a ghost. Sometimes we're in the middle of hurt and pain and distress. It can't even compute that God would come in and do something because it's too chaotic. And there's so much other noise and static and, and things that are real and hurtful and painful that we miss out on what He's actually doing in front of us. They were terrified when they saw Him. But Jesus spoke to them all at once. And He said, do not be afraid. Take courage, for I am here. And then He climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. And in one of the most understated verses in the New Testament it says that they were totally amazed. But we're caught in stress. We have a high priest. We have a Savior who intercedes on our behalf. Look at Hebrews 7.25 Therefore, He, speaking of Jesus, He is able once and forever to save those who come to God through Him, He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. But even when it feels like He's distant, when He's far off, we're in the lake and He's up on the hillside, and He's interceding on oh, behalf. Think about that—the God of the universe, who made you, created you, prays for you, intercedes for you. But it's not just that. He takes it one step further. further. He comes down and he enters into our chaos and into our mess. He enters into our brokenness. As John's gospel tells us, uh, he he comes down from high place and he moves in. He moves into the neighborhood to be with us, to experience all the things that we've experienced, to be tempted the same way that we have been tempted. And to be there with us, His children, to save us, to rescue us, and to restore us. I believe with all of my heart, the number one thing that God wants us to know is not Jesus take the will. Sometimes our hands are even on the wrong will. number one thing He wants us to know is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Because I am, the I am, I am with you. Isaiah 41.10 Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will hold you up with my mighty, victorious right hand. Just look at all the promises in this one verse. I am with you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will hold you up. When we're caught in storms, we don't reach for our own, the ability to get ourselves out of it. We don't reach for what we think that we can do. We reach out to the mighty, victorious right hand, the loving Father who is mighty to save us. He is mighty to save us. You are not alone. You are not forgotten, even in desperate times, even in times of obedience, but it seems like how could this possibly be? God is at work. God is at work. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Throughout John's Gospel, the disciples are with Jesus. And he begins telling them these incredible things. Uh, he begins to say, that, hey look, uh, where I'm going, you cannot go. And I'm preparing for my burial. And where the Son of Man is going to have to suffer a great deal of many things. Which is not in the plan for the disciples. And I love that Thomas speaks up, and I'm paraphrasing. He basically stands and he says, Look, we have no idea what you're talking about. I'm like, that's not, you're the Messiah, and you're here to redeem us, to establish this earthly kingdom, and that's the plan. And you're talking about leaving. And Jesus turns to them and says, Look, guys, don't worry about it. If it's actually better than I know. We know this. Because when I go the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, the Advocate will come and not only will He be with you and around you, He will actually be in you. It's not some mysterious life force. It's not some self-help. It is the presence, the actual presence of the living Jesus Christ through His Spirit which is within us. And it's by that Spirit that we cry out, Abba Father. It's by that Spirit that we have comfort, that we have hope, that we have peace. He says, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will be with you to the end of the age. Christ in very self is very sweet. He's in us. He is with us. Maybe you're on that journey of even wondering, is this real? Can I, can I trust this? I'm trying this stuff. I'm doing the things. I'm brought your by Whatever the situation is. What we want to say through our lives, what we want to declare through our worship, what we want to say through the way that we serve others, is there is a God in heaven who is not just in heaven, but He is a God who is present with us in our mess. He sees us. He knows you. He loves you. He has a vision. He has a plan for your life. And somebody say amen to that today? What? It's true. It's more true than the wall that's not going to be here in two weeks. It's more true than the cars you're going to get in to drive home after the service. The presence of our God is reality. In His presence, what He does is He comforts His people. Think about how would you look differently if you knew, if you really dared to trust to believe that God was with you. And because He's with you, you would not fear. I know, conceptually, you might understand that. Yeah, I get that. But to really know that to our core, to live that out, how would you look at your past differently? Your past hurts, your pains, or your brokenness. How would you maybe view that differently? How about what you're dealing with right now in this moment, the anxiety, the fear that seems crippling, that you don't know which way to go, you're overwhelmed. How would you look differently at your current situation? And how might you look differently at the future for what's ahead? It is actually true that God is with us, and He calls us to not be afraid. I've seen this play out in my life time and time again. And it seems like it's a tennis match of back and forth, of getting it, of understanding it, of being met with opposition, and forgetting all over again what he's done before. But I'm so thankful that God doesn't leave us, that his presence is not dictated on our amount of belief, faith, or what we can muster up in that moment. It's dictated about on his mighty, right, victorious hand that is there to save us. A couple of weeks ago, or actually a couple of months ago, uh, our first daughter, is six, we have a our new daughter, three months old, and so about she was about a month old. And uh, there's that thing that happens when the second child is, is born, maybe you experienced this before, uh, when the first daughter started to feel a little bit like, hey, I'm still here, why aren't we going to the park every day? Why are we not hanging out? And to make matters worse, we have this new puppy, his name is Buster Posey, he's a world champion dog, I just want to put that out there right now. Um, and, and he, he was feeling a little bit neglected too. So I went the better route and chose to spend time with my, my daughter. The dog could, could wait, And I decided, you know, it's time for a daddy daughter. And it's been a while. So what we decided to do is we went to, to Disneyland. And I don't know why, I was feeling extra generous that day. And she talked me into going on that ride, uh, Finding Nemo, which for me, oh, someone is applauding for Finding Nemo? The movie or the ride? We need to figure that out real quick. Uh, for me. One of the worst rides at the park, can I say that? I'm 6'4", so a confined submarine sitting next to people with interesting smells and all that whole deal. And I don't know how it ends up, but I always wind up being like on the edge and smashed over here. Uh, so it was really generous to take her on that ride. And we were waiting in line, which felt like three hours in the, in the heat. And out of nowhere, she tugged the back of my shirt. And it was one of those sort of authoritative tugs. Like, wow, who just touched the back of my garment? Power like, oh, just went out of me. what's going on? And I turned around and I looked at her with her sweet, big brown eyes, and she looked up at me and she said these exact words. She said, Daddy, I think the hardest part of your life is going to be letting go. Uh, let it go of what exactly? You're not getting this chair out, that's mine, is that what you're talking about? So I asked her the next question of, uh, well, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? She said, you know, Daddy, like, when I grow up and get married, that's going to be really hard for me to let go of me. And so I asked this next question that I wish I would not have asked. Uh, and I said, well, are you planning on getting married anytime soon? Like, you know, who would you marry? And then she turned around, and there's this boy behind us with an angel's hat on. And she said, I don't know, this boy seems kind of nice. <laughs> so we had a conversation about... Uh, angels and God's hats. No Giants hat. Thank you very much. Looks good. That's something that we can do in our house. Uh, and again, she saw the anxiety, the depression, the kind of fear uh, upon my face. And she looks up at me again and says these exact words. I'm not exaggerating. She says, but don't worry about it, Dad. Because if we get married, I think we'll live at home for a while so we can save money. <laughs> Beautiful. So I've got a boomerang child. She's plotting. She's planning. She's 6 going one I'm 16. So I covet your prayers. Thank you very much. Um, Immediately that one in my notebook, that's coming out of the Father of the Bride speech at some point, I'm sure. And then as I sat with that, I had to acknowledge that there is so much truth in that little conversation I just had with my sweet six-year-old tongue. That if I'm honest, I, I want to own and control not only her, but many things in my life. I want to dictate the way that my family leads and grows. I want to control my picture. I want to control the level of pain that I experience in my life. I even have an expectation for how I want God to work. And I'm doing the stuff. I'm doing the right thing. Now, I've done my part. God, you go and do your part. What I'm discovering is it, that small living is a living that we are never intended to live. And God will very happily say, okay have it that way but how much do you miss out on by living in a posture of holding grasping and control? when we serve a god who promises that he'll do exceedingly abundantly more than we could dream think ask or even dare to imagine my imagination is limited my dreaming my daring is limited because I want to protect I want to hold on to, I want to grasp I think Jesus is is looking down at us as children and he's praying for us and I think part of his prayer is for us to have this posture of surrender that we would come to the realization that there's so much more that you are not defined by your pain, by your brokenness that you're not defined by your success things that you have in life. That the only thing that we are defined by is that we are children of the Most High God. And that is the only thing that matters. And it's from operating with that truth that we can own the places we will go. That we can live a life of adventure. That we can live a life of risk. Because there's nothing to lose. I have this with you. I have a relationship. And in that I know that God you see, you know, you have a vision, you protect, and that you guide. For some of us, that's easy to say today. Absolutely, yes, and amen. For others, we're not. that's a difficult statement to make. Because the reality of life is different from our expectations of what we believe God has for us. What we want to submit is a simple truth. Because God is with you, for you, do not be afraid. It's not Jesus come take the wheel but often our hands are on the wrong entire wheel. Jesus, teach me to not be afraid. Teach me to have courage. Teach me to see what you see. Teach me to listen in the darkest hour, in the dark night of the soul, to have a courageous spirit that wants to know, God, what are you saying? How might you shape me out of this, not just for me, not even for others, but for your glory, because our lives are yours. Our lives are yours bring for this week. Just a strong belief today that God wants to speak to us. That He wants to minister life. That He wants to minister healing. We've done our part. We're here. We've worshipped. We've looked at His Word. But actually that's not the main thing that God wants to do. He wants to speak to us as children. I know that He's even speaking Speak that he wants to remind you that you are loved, that you are seen, that you are not forgotten. What I want to do is just take a moment. Close your eyes at this moment. Holy Spirit, would you come? looking at scripture as we've been worshiping together. think about what are those things you so desperately want to control. Those people, family, that situation, your health. God, our prayer is that you would give us freedom from our acts. Comfort for our present and a hope and peace for our future. What I'm ask you to do is as you begin to worship, as you feel God speaking to you and you're seeing, you're identifying what those things are, as we worship, I want to invite you to stand. Now, when you stand, I want you to stand with a different posture, with hands open, hands that are surrendered saying, God, we don't know. We can't control. We believe in a God that does. Take these things in your eyes.